This is The Creator Revealed, a production of 3ABN Television. Welcome to The Creator Revealed. I'm Tim Standish, I'm a scientist, and I work for the Geoscience Research Institute in Loma Linda, California. This program and this entire series is about the creation and what it can tell us about the Creator. I'm Shelley Quinn, and we just want to thank you for joining us today. This program is in two segments. The first half of the program, you will get some scientific information, just enough to kind of whet your appetite. And the second part, we will be talking about a practical and biblical application. What is the life lesson we get from this? Paul said in Romans 1.20 that God's invisible attributes were seen in everything that he created. He imprinted or encoded his artistic and uh, his artistic ability and his love, if you will, on his creation. And today we're going to talk about a well-noted biologist who's probably more famous for being an atheist and how he mocks the design, God's design of the eye. Yes. You know what I like about Romans 1.20 is that it points us in a very clear way to the creation. God, God says, go and look, you know, the, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Um, Amen. And uh, there, there's no hesitation about it. Unfortunately, there are some people who think that you cannot see the hand of the Creator in the creation. Um, and some of them actually are a, a certain kind of, of Christian um, I hope we all wind up in heaven uh, so that um, uh, their eye, you know, all of our eyes obviously will be opened at that particular yes. point. But while we're here, the Bible encourages us to look at the creation, to appreciate what is there. And particularly when it comes to human beings, the Bible tells us uh, beautiful things to expect when we look at how a human being is made. I love this text. This is uh, Psalm 139, uh, 13 and 14. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Isn't that fantastic imagery yes. there? Yes. <laughs> I really like it. Uh, that's actually why I use the NIV version. It, it has that, it, it summarizes that imagery so nicely there for this text. And then it goes on, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Amen. Amen. That's, the, that's the biblical view of a human being. You're created by God, created in the image of God. We expect as Bible-believing Christians to see something wonderful. But of course, we all know, we can't pretend that there is not another view of what a human being is. So let's look at 
one way in which that has been expressed. This is Charles Darwin writing. Now, you'll remember that Charles Darwin was a materialist. He believed really that the only thing was the material world. And here's what he says. Man in his arrogance thinks himself a great work, worthy the interposition of a deity. So human beings think that we're fantastic and therefore, you know, God somehow or other made us. He's, he's turning things completely around. More humble, and I believe truer, to consider him created from animals. But that was in 1838. That's right. This is long before the publication of his famous book, The Origin of Species. So I've so. always heard that it was because of his research in the origin of species that he turned to an evolutionist and denied God, but the clearly... That's, that's, that's really a commonly held myth. Um, uh -huh. uh, Darwin was clearly a dedicated materialist uh, before he ever went on the, the voyage that he went on around the world actually looking at things. And he was searching for a naturalistic explanation for things. That's, that's, that's what his particular theory of evolution really is all about, trying to come up with an alternative explanation to what is pretty much obviously true to most people, and that is that human beings and the rest of everything we observe was created in some way for a purpose, yes, interestingly indeed. enough. Yes. So, um, yes, you already mentioned Richard Dawkins, and uh, Richard Dawkins is an atheist. You could think of him as being uh, an atheist evangelist. So, well, you're a Christian evangelist, <laughs> Shelley. He's an atheist evangelist, yes. and he's very articulate. Um, I appreciate his writings, actually, because he doesn't try to pretend. He tells you precisely what he thinks. So he's talking about the human body. Now, remember, this Darwinian view of things inclines us to see things in a negative sort of way. No, we're kind of cobbled together. We are not a product of any intelligent thought or any planning. No, no infinitely wise God made us. So we don't expect to see infinitely wise things in the creation. This is, this is what he says. And he's talking about the human eye. So if you're watching this on television, he's talking about the instruments that you are using to see us uh, with amazing clarity. It's, uh, who isn't amazed by the human eye? Well, Truly. it turns out Richard Dawkins isn't. <laughs> he says, suppose I tell you that the eye's photocells. So these are the cells at the back of the eye that are detecting light. Okay. The eye's photocells are pointing backwards away from the scene being looked at. The wires, that would be the nerves, uh, connecting the photocells to the brain, run over all the surface of the retina. So the light rays have to pass through a carpet of massed wires before they hit the photocells. That doesn't make sense. And it gets even worse. <laughs> so let's take a look at what he's talking about here. Here's the human eye. Most of us will be familiar with the basic architecture. At the back of the eye, there are light-sensitive cells. And at the front, you can see there is a lens. So if you're looking at my smiling face, um, <laughs> what's happening is that lens is focusing an image of me, well, both of us, on the back of your eye and those light sensitive cells 
are detecting that image. So as the light falls on it, they change and they then send a signal through, through the nerves uh, back to our brains. And that's, that's why, we, why we see things the way we do. So here is what uh, Dawkins is concerned about. The nerves that pick up that signal, they run over the front of the light sensitive cells. They don't go behind. And uh, he thinks that's a terrible design. So let's zoom in here on just a little part of that retina and take a look at what, what his issue is okay. with it. All right. Um, and uh, so here we have our light detecting cells. Right. Uh, there they are. And um, those light detecting cells, they have a, they use a lot of energy. That means they need a lot of oxygen. Lots they need blood. sugar. They, and that's all bought by the blood, right? So they need a blood supply to supply them. That's why if you injure your eye, you've probably noticed there's a lot of blood involved. Yes. Um, and uh, if you've ever tried looking through blood, you've probably noticed that that's not really a good strategy. It's, it's quite opaque. So if you put the blood in front of the light-sensitive cells, you couldn't see anything. The blood has to go behind. So this is a design necessity that we're looking at here. The blood is behind. If you have the blood there, you can't in the same place have the nerves, right? The, you can only have one thing in one place at a time. So therefore, the nerves have to go in front of the, okay. the light-detecting cells. So when light comes in, this is according to Dawkins, and this was a commonly held view. When the light comes in, it passes through those nerves and it gets dissipated a bit. So that would reduce the clarity of what we see. And uh, Dawkins thinks this is a bad design, but, but we can see it's actually necessary that things be this way or else our eyes wouldn't work. I should tell you, there are other designs how this works. They, they suit the purposes of those animals that have that design. But so this, for an eagle or someone? Well, actually, an eagle would have this kind of design. Okay. I'm talking about things like octopuses. Oh, okay. okay their, their eyes, the same general camera type eye as ours, but their retina is arranged differently. And it suits the purposes of an octopus. Yes. Um, but not the purposes of a human being. <laughs> so okay. so this, is, this, is, this is what Dawkins is complaining about. He says this is bad design, even though everybody would admit, hey, you know, our eyes work remarkably well. Yes. Okay. So then he goes on and he says, one consequence of the photocells pointing backwards is that the wires, remember that's the nerves there, that carry their data somehow have to pass through the retina and back to the brain. What they do in the vertebrate eye is all converge on a particular hole in the retina where they dive through it. The hole filled with nerves is called the blind spot. And this is the most shocking statement. He says, it's not just bad design, it's the design of a complete idiot. But it's interesting, being an atheist, that he is still calling it a design. Isn't that interesting? Yes. 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 Th this, is, this, is a, uh, this is a fascinating thing because frequently people will argue, oh, something is badly designed, therefore it's not designed. No, no, we, we, we experience bad design all the time, 
but it's the, the things are still designed. Yes. The, okay. the issue is really how competent the designer is. So let's see what he's talking about here. You see, you see there where the nerves go through? That's the blind spot. He has a problem with that. You will probably notice that most people have two eyes. And the great thing is, because of our two eyes, we have this 180 degree view of everything and the blind spot isn't in the same place in, in both eyes. So your brain puts the image together. You don't see any blind spot. Okay. This is actually brilliant design. There's something else that's more recently been discovered, and that is that, in fact, the light does not get dissipated. What happens is there are these special glial cells that act like fiber optics, and what they do is they carry that light through. How so it isn't dissipated. What happened was the designer actually anticipated that problem with the nerves running over, the front of the eye, That's amazing. and engineered in a brilliant solution. And because of that brilliant solution, human beings can do amazing things. We have these sensors, and those sensors are coordinated by our amazing brains so that we can, we can see, we can hear, we can put all of this information together, and we can understand, to some degree, the creation but so poor enjoy. Richard didn't have this information when he's mocking God's design. He didn't have the information about the glial cells. He had all the other information. Yes, yes. but he's been disproven. But, right? Well, he's, it's been shown that that was a foolish and presumptive view of things. Remember, the Bible encourages us to look for God, Amen. evidence of God, to, 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 to contemplate what he created, and what we can learn about God. Nature, the creation, doesn't tell us everything. Amen. But it tells us plenty. So there are, there are a number of points that we can get out of this, I think. Okay. Um, you know, the creator is re revealed in the design of humans. His love is shown in his provision of senses, such as sight, so that we can appreciate and enjoy the creation he made for us. His love is evident in the way he anticipated and solved problems created by design necessities so that we enjoy senses far better than a minimally necessary for survival. And he demonstrated his love by providing us with nervous systems designed for a relationship with him. When you consider the human eye, certainly, you see that there had to be intelligent design. We're going to take just a short break. We'll be back in 60 seconds to talk about the practical life application. Welcome to the minute that makes a difference. I'm Margot Marshall. What difference would it make to your self-control if you read the Bible? In a study, participants were given sentences containing five words to unscramble. Some contained religious themes, others didn't. Then they were asked to complete tasks that required self-control, involving enduring discomfort, delaying gratification, exerting patience and refraining from impulsive responses. Those who unscrambled the sentences with religious themes had significantly more self-control in completing their tasks, which surprised the lead researcher, who previously thought that religion had little practical use. The very book that strengthens self-control, the Bible, claims to do so. Quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
So keep a Bible handy. It makes a difference. Hello and welcome back to The Creator Revealed. We are talking about design in humans and we have someone joining us right now who is a doctor and also teaches human anatomy. So That's right. Us. This is Dr. Lucinda Hill. Okay. She teaches at Southern Adventist University in Tennessee, which happens to be the school that my daughter went to. She's a graduate of it. So we are fans there of Southern Adventist <laughs> University. Excellent education there. And they have an excellent uh, program there in Origins, which Dr. Hill also teaches uh, that course there as well. So uh, she is a multi-talented woman and it's an honor to have her with us. Hello, Dr. Hill. It's uh, great to have hey, you here. Hey, how us. are you? <laughs> Good to we're, be with you. Thank you. We're, we're glad doing, to have you. We're doing fabulously. Now, we've been talking about design in the human body. And, uh, and you're a physician and you teach human anatomy. So I wonder if you could tell us uh, what, what would be in your mind a good example. I, I, I already talked a little bit earlier about the human eye and some of, the, some of the interesting things that are going on there, but you work with the entire human body. What, what's something that would jump out at you? Something that is really amazing to me is the way our bodies are so incredibly integrated with our nervous system. I have here a model of a, a human arm, hand. Think about the incredible things that you can do with your hand. You reach out, twist to open a door. Um, if you're with your spouse, you hold hands to communicate love. With your children, you use your hands to pick them up. We write, we type on computers, and we have muscles, a variety of muscles, which my students have to memorize. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> and then they have to learn the nerves. But think about how in order to make a movement, the muscles on one side of the arm contract while the muscles on the other side have to relax. And the brain controls all of that. And so we have centers in our brain that receive signals and then give the correct response to make these complex movements of these muscles yeah. to do the incredible activities that we do with our hands and arms. You know what I'm looking at there? I mean, yeah, I, you know, when you've got all of these parts all together, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. But I, I, what I was looking at was where the muscles are and what they operate, because there are all of those tendons and things that go down into the hand from muscles that are actually up here in the forearm. And so you have a muscle contracting in the forearm that's actually moving your fingers, for example. Um, it's, it's, it really looks like a machine. And in a way you could say it is, but it's so much more than just sort of a regular normal machine. And, and, and I'm also thinking about other things that are there, like all those tendons, they have to be lubricated. So you've got nerves to tell them which muscles to contract and which ones to relax, tendons that are moving, moving fingers and stuff way out here, and then you've got a, a system of lubrication. Um, 
But you're a, you're a doctor, you're a physician. And what I'm wondering about is what happens when, when one of these things is damaged? In fact, I can tell you that from harsh personal experience, I, I know what happens when a hand, to some degree, when a hand gets damaged. Um, uh, uh, wow, you know, there's, <laughs> there are a lot of things going on there that I simply hadn't thought about very much uh, before myself. Uh, so what happens when, when, when you're dealing with, with, with a patient who has damaged something like that? Well, that's an excellent point. So many times somebody will come into the emergency room, and I, I practiced emergency medicine for many years, and they have a laceration. If it's just a simple cut on the skin, even then think of the complexity of how do you heal that wound? How do you prevent an infection from setting in? And then if it's in the hand, like what happened to you, let's look at our model again. And out here in our fingers, we have the insertion points of these tendons. So that would, that, would be the, the that, would be the, that would be the place where the tendon attaches. That's what you're calling an, an insertion point, right? Yes, that's correct. And so to flex your finger, you're going to contract the muscle, and then that's going to be attached to the bones in your finger that will then pull and bend the finger at the joints. Think of the joints. What happens if we don't have joints in the finger, if those joints are stiff? Um, but back to the lacerated tendon. If somebody lacerates a tendon, they're going to have a life-changing injury unless that tendon is sewn back up and unless we prevent a, a major infection, which can also do damage to the tendon. And yet our body has an immune system. Um, it has mechanisms of healing. And we as physicians, we work with those designed mechanisms to sew things back up so that they're aligned correctly, so that the healing process occurs normally. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Actually, I can demonstrate that. <laughs> can you see how I can't, I can't straighten this little finger? I can't straighten it out yes. because the tendon here is, is broken. So I can, I can just get it that far and that's it. I can, I can contract it, but I can't pull it back, even though it will readily go back. It'll, it'll readily go back, but I, I simply have no control over it because it's the tendon damaged is damaged and I, and I can't do it, yeah. You know, the, the most amazing the, thing to me is that, Liz, uh, is all of this works together without us even thinking of it on a cognizant level. It's yes. just, it works. You know what I was thinking about when you, when you talked about just a simple laceration, you, uh, your body has to tell cells to start growing there, right? Well, how do those cells know to start growing and when to stop growing? Why doesn't it just turn into cancer or something and just grow into this horrible, um, uh, great big growth? Um, Excellent point. That is an excellent point. We have so many different mechanisms that we don't even think of. And as you said, it's just automatic. Um, if those processes don't work correctly, we're in a world of hurt. And yet it's incredible how well they work most of the time. What amazes me as much as anything about the human body is the way in which it can absorb 
uh, insults, if you want, damage the of various kinds. The redundancy that's built in there. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, I, I guess that uh, it's, it's common to compare biological things with, with machines of some kind. So if, if you said, well, a, a, a body is something like, let's say, a complex machine like an aeroplane, um, in aeroplanes, they have redundant systems, so there can be some damage to an aeroplane and it can keep flying. But with a human being, and by the way, that's indicative of great design when you, when, <laughs> when you have something like and, and that. Let me give an example of that. I've got a wonderful example. My grandfather was having some balance issues. I took him to a balance center to be tested. And once they put the halter on him and went through the test, when they had him close his eyes, he was down. So what they told me was he was relying, both of his inner ear, uh, he had inner ear problems, no balance center in either ear. He was relying totally on his vision for balance. And to me, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. Just all that this, kind all this of sort redundancy. Of, uh, redundancy. Yeah. And, and, and yet he could stand up and walk yes. still just because he had sight, even though the rest of the system wasn't working. Yes. Um, to, to, to me, what astonishes me is that you can, you can cut entire organs out of a human being's body and they don't die immediately. I, I, I know that, you know, we think about things like the appendix, but are there others? I mean... Gallbladder, uterus. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot. Um, Spleen. We can live without one of our kidneys, the spleen. Yes. yes. Um, it's amazing. And even Consoles. when we have neurological damage in the brain, we're learning so much about the plasticity in the brain where one part is able to take over a function mm. for a damaged area and still allow, even though there are certainly bad effects from the original injury, yet that's mitigated by these redundancies and by the ability to heal. It's incredible. It really is, is amazing. As we think about the human body, the more we know about it, really the more amazing it becomes. And the more amazing we understand it to be, the more designed it looks. Absolutely. And the more glory <laughs> really is attributable to the designer, um, who, of course, the Bible reveals to us, introduces to us as, as God God himself. It's quite incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Hill. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for your insights. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye now. Well, you know, I, I, I feel that with this particular subject, we've, we've been talking about it for well, almost half an hour. And we haven't even begun oh, just to scratch the, the surface. <laughs> yeah. um, where do you, the human body, it's, it's not just that it's this machine. It's also a work of art. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. With the most yeah. amazing computer that has ever been created right yes. up here. And the ability of that computer, that brain, to control all of these parts Ultimately, though, the ability to praise the creator amen. who made us. Amen and amen. This has been such a special program. Thank you so much. And you know, it is so true. As David said, 
Lord, you knit me together in the womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I just want to take this moment to encourage you to praise God. There's so many things. Sometimes we get ill and we think, poor, pitiful me. But praise God for the ability to regenerate. Praise God for the way He has created you and praise Him for everything that you can do. Thank you. listening to The Creator Revealed, a production of 3ABN Television.